0: That um, I can maybe direct you. We can talk, um, but then I know who, uh, where we are um, in uh, in that. Okay, if you would turn to First Peter, we are beginning a new series in the book of First Peter. We have spent. Um, many months in the book of Esther. It has been quite a journey. It has been an exciting journey through the book of Esther. And then over the, the number of these past weeks, and as we began the summer, um, we have been studying some of the Psalms. We've had a few guest speakers. It's just been a delight to to just have these opportunities to study different books. But now, in at least I think until the middle of January, we're going to be in, in First Peter, as I have Laid out uh, our series here, and we will have a few guest speakers. I just wanted to alert you in November, Wan Kong from Seoul, South Korea, um, who's part who leads the Sovereign Grace Church there, is going to be with us speaking here. And um, we'll have a few other folks coming in. I've invited Joe Lechner from Crossway Community Church in Charlotte to come speak. Joe is one of my favorite speakers, Um, he is just a gifted gifted, used to be a young man, now he's middle-aged. Um, <laughs> what does that tell me about me? And so, if you would turn to First Peter, and let us look at, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Father, we we find that your word are words of life. And we ask this morning that these words of life would bring life to us. Lord, may we, may we understand, may we have the illumination of your Spirit this morning to comprehend the truth of your words and what stands behind them, the, the loving sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may, may these words, as they are spoken, as they are preached, may, may my words bring glory to your name. And may your, your church be encouraged. And may your church be refreshed. And may your church be edified. And may your church be convicted where appropriate that each life here is lived for your glory. We pray this In your Son's name. Amen. Over the past months, we have, as I said, studied the book of Esther. And when we studied Esther, we we learned what life was like for those who were living in exile. The Jewish nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had sinned greatly at that time against God. And because of their sin, they experienced God's discipline through his judgment. And they were exiled from the promised land and forced to live in a foreign country under a foreign dictator. That's that's what the book of Esther is about. And as we saw in Esther, these exiles suffered for being the people of God to to the point of almost being annihilated until God rescued them. And as you read through the Bible with this story in mind, with Esther in mind and with 1 Peter in mind, you'll soon discover that that every person who is a believer, every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ is in reality living in exile in a foreign land, and as an exile, we are subject to suffering for our faith. And that is what First Peter is about, the suffering Peter speaks of in this letter the suffering that we will read about in the coming months, the suffering that these folks in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia and literally throughout the known world, the Christians who were living at that time, those, those believers, that their suffering was not suffering from, from physical pain or from illness or financial troubles, but suffering from their faith in Christ for, for being a follower of Christ. And Peter, Peter writes this letter. He writes this letter to bring hope and to bring faith to those who are suffering or who will suffer in the future. Found, foundational truths are certainly proclaimed in this letter, but, but this letter is not to teach particularly, specifically doctrine, but to inspire faith when trouble comes to the believer. D. Edmund Hebert says this, he writes this about first Peter. He says First Peter was not written to expound momentous doctrinal truths. Rather, it is a practical appeal to courage, purity, and faithfulness to Christ in the midst of suffering for his name's sake. It is full of that comfort which only a true Christian rich in faith and rich in love can give to the suffering. Peter's primary purpose was not to teach Christian doctrine, but to strengthen Christian faith. Now, I have three main points for this opening passage, these, this opening greeting from Peter. The three points are the writer, the readers, and the reason Peter wrote his letter. The writer the readers and the reason Peter wrote his letter. And let's look at the writer, written by Peter, simply. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we get from the very beginning, we know it is Peter. He's a disciple of Christ. He's now an apostle. He was well-known. Peter was well-known in Scripture. He's well-known for his brashness. He was, he was brash. He would tell it like it is. He, would, he was well-known for his impetuousness. He would, he would say whatever came to his mind immediately. He was well-known for his boldness. He was the one who pulled the sword and cut off a servant's ear, as we read in Scripture. And he was well-known for his brokenness as he came face to face with his sin, as he denied and he betrayed Jesus. Now, Peter's use of the word apostle here simply establishes his authority in writing the letter, the authoritative nature of this. but notice, notice the humility in which he describes himself here. Peter, Peter, as important as a man he is, as a disciple and now an apostle, a man who is, is responsible for the birth of the, of the early church, he writes this Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He knows who he belongs to. He, he knows who is in ultimate authority. He, he knows. And Peter, Peter begins with humility because he sees himself simply as an agent of God, of Jesus Christ. He, he sees himself simply as a shepherd, as we will read about in chapter five, verse, verses one through four. He, he talks about being a shepherd of the flock. He is called to care for God's people. And we remember, remember his call in John 21 when, when he had he meets up with Jesus and he's walking along the, the seashore and, and Jesus is telling him, feed my sheep, love my sheep. After his denial and after his betrayal, Peter experiences the grace and the forgiveness of God. And he becomes a shepherd. And that's, and that's who is writing this letter to us. He writes from a place of humility. He writes from a place of knowing the grace of God, now, despite peter 's failures in in Jesus reinstates him as an apostle and, and commands him, as we read, to feed his sheep. At, at Pentecost, Peter had had a great responsibility. He, he preaches about the resurrection. He preaches about the Savior. And thousands repent. Thousands believe. Thousands are baptized. And the early church begins. And, and knowing Peter's history, we can easily understand why his talk of grace, why his talk of grace at the end. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We can understand why he can speak of grace because as a broken man as a as a broken sinner who has experienced the forgiveness of God and not only the forgiveness of God but the calling of God upon his life Peter writes he writes to the churches to care for the churches he knew and loved the grace of God and that is what he so passionately desires for his readers that they as well would know the grace of And peace of God and have it multiplied to them. Now, Peter was likely, most likely, writing from Rome to this group of churches in Asia Minor, and it was written around 62 AD, about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Peter would be an older man by now a a now wise and experienced pastor and and now more than 30 years after Pentecost the church has grown many Christians are scattered throughout the known world if you remember in Acts 2 when Peter is preaching and and it gives a list of where all these people are from well a number were from Pontus a number were from Cappadocia a number were from Asia and so so these are these are people that have have gone out from 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 pentecost with the gospel and and these churches are now established in these areas and and his his pastoral purpose in writing is to encourage these men and women to encourage these believers to remain firm in their faith in the face of persecution suffering for their belief in christ it appears look at look at chapter 4 verse 12 peter is writing and he says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. These, these believers, it appears, were surprised by their suffering for Christ. Now, Christianity at this time has been experiencing rapid, rapid growth, but the Roman culture has also been growing in its opposition to these christians to these men and women who are following christ and no doubt peter peter sees it coming and so he wisely reminds these believers of who they are in christ and how may, how they must live in a world that is hostile to them and being in rome peter is very close to the hostility that is taking place he's also very close to the man who was caesar at the time a man named nero And just two years later in 64 AD, when there is a great fire in Rome, Nero blames the Christians and persecution becomes incredibly severe and horrific. Thousands of Christians are put to death. Burned, crucified, eaten by wild beasts. And at this time, this is when both Peter and Paul are martyred for their faith. And so, so Peter, Peter sees what's coming. He sees the growing opposition. He, he sees it in the culture. He feels it in the atmosphere. He knows, he knows the, the climate is changing even more rapidly. And so he writes this letter. He writes this letter to help these Christians understand how to live faithfully for Christ in a hostile culture. That's the writer. Now, who are the readers? Well, he goes on in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He identifies the original readers, and by implication, he's identifying us. Now, let me, let me say this. First Peter is not written to us. It's written to a specific group of people at a specific time, at a specific date, under specific circumstances. That was the author's intent. It's not written to us, but 1 Peter is written for us. It is written for us that we read this even today. And so by implication, when, when Peter is writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, he's thinking of the those in Pontus and Cappadocia and Bithynia and Asia, but God, who inspired this writing, is thinking of you. He's thinking of you as an elect exile. Peter reminds. These Christians, he calls them elect and he reminds them that they are the elect of God, those who have been redeemed, saved by God's sovereign grace and sovereign purpose. And God, in his perfect and his loving plan, he chose them before the foundation of the world. He, he chose them that, that they might live in obedience to Christ. And in his mercy and love, he chooses these men and women. He chooses you as children they have received the riches of god's grace as i mean grace may grace and peace be multiplied to you grace has already been experienced by these men and women grace has already been received by these men and women and so these these are the these are the men and women who've experienced the grace of god and salvation and that's why they are the elect of god they've been chosen by god and they've been chosen by god in his love the term elect is meant to encourage you you are to be encouraged. I, I get it. I mean, I mean, when you think about, here's a book written to inspire you, to encourage you to remain faithful in the midst of hostility because you're a follower of Christ. And, and Peter's saying, you're, you're elected by God to that. You're thinking, I didn't run for that office. <laughs> I, I didn't ask, did I ask to be elected to that? But you are, you are elected you, you've been chosen by God. And, and he did it because he did it in love. Ephesians 1.4 says, In love he predestined us. In love. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us. And so that is who Peter is writing to, to the elect." He also calls them exiles. Now in Esther, the elect exiles of God were exiled because of their sin. They were living under God's judgment. They they were experiencing the appropriate consequences for their sin. But here in Peter, these believers are not elect exiles because of their sin, but because of their faith in Christ. And this is true for you. You are an exile. You have been exiled when you were elected, when you were chosen by God, when you responded to the gospel, when you put your faith and trust and hope in Christ's salvation, his offer, his death on the cross, his resurrection. When you came to Christ, you became an exile in this world. And as God's elect exile, you now live in a new kingdom. You live in a new world. You no longer belong to this world. Although you live in this world, you no longer belong to this culture. You no longer belong to this society. Although you are a a citizen here, you're more a citizen in heaven. You belong to God. That is what Peter is saying when he calls these people, when he calls you and I exiles. We, We belong somewhere else. You're no longer citizens of the world from which you came from. You are strangers. You are exiles. You are, you are sojourners, as you will read in, in chapter 2. You're a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's who you are. That's who we are. We are travelers whose stay in this world is measured in years, but whose stay is not permanent. As I mentioned a while back in in Esther, we all have term limits. Okay, guaranteed promise, you will die. Don't know what you'll die from, but you will die. And you will die, and when you die, where will you be? You will be in the new kingdom. You, and you are now in the new kingdom. Exiles live between two worlds. And as exiles and strangers, we never perfectly fit into or ever fully belong to this society, this culture. And, and being in this culture can be uncomfortable, awkward at, at times. I have, I have had the opportunity to travel uh, quite substantially internationally, and I have been to a lot of different countries, and I have realized how many cultural mistakes I have made over the years. I didn't realize that when you have tea in England, you do not pour milk into the tea after the tea. You pour milk into the cup before the tea. Why do they do that? I don't know. I think they're just simply nuts. I don't get, I mean, who cares whether you put the milk in first? But they do. And they look at you like you're just some dumb American. And most likely I am some dumb American. You go to India and you eat with your hand. But you do not eat with your left hand. You eat with your right hand. Do you know why you do not eat with your left hand? You do not eat with your left hand because they use their left hand for something else. And when they're done going to the bathroom, they clean their left hand. That's what they use their left hand for. And so when we're on a a medical missions team a number of years ago, and we're in a group sitting outside, everybody's got their plate, and one of the guys in my group is left-handed. And he just immediately goes and he starts eating. The look on their faces from the Indians was appalling. And you just think, oops. <laughs> yeah, cultural differences. Cultural differences. Driving on the opposite side of the road. How the Brits ever get anywhere, I do not know. It's, it's just so many. And, and, and the awkwardness and not knowing the culture. And, and listen, as, as a Christian and as you grow and as you grow in your faith and as you've been a Christian longer and longer, living in this world becomes awkward, and you you begin to lose, hopefully so, some of the cultural senses that you once had, and that you're not the same, and you're not a part of this world anymore. And that's what makes you an exile. Peter goes on further to describe why, why these exiles no longer fit, fit in. And he writes this in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. For The foreknowledge of God the Father. This is why we are God's people. This is why we are elect exiles. In God's foreknowledge, we have been taken out of this world. We've been taken out of the world that we were once comfortable in, where we once lived and where sin was not an issue. We did what we wanted. We lived for our own pleasure. We we followed after our own desires. That's the world we lived in. And God God rescued us. He chose us. He elected us. And then he exiled us from that world. He pulled us out of that world. And and he did it because he loves us. And and that, that should deeply affect every Christian in this room. That God has rescued this. This, this, is, this is meant to comfort you. God has pulled you away from the slavery of that world. Peter's readers have, have been saved. They've been, they've been saved by God's sovereign grace. And so the foreknowledge of God the Father, that's what makes them the elect exiles. And then he goes on to say that the sanctification of the Spirit. The, the Spirit here applies the, God's affection and God's choice in sanctifying or setting you apart through the miracle of regeneration and conversion, for, for obedience, that you might live in obedience to Jesus Christ. He he speaks of the, the purpose of the Spirit's work in your life, the outcome of that work that you would live to obedience in, in Christ. That there's this ongoing progressive sanctification. And all, all believers, all believers, everyone here who has trusted in Christ, all of you have been and are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The work of grace is going on in you. That is, that is what Peter is saying here. Amen. That in the midst of being in exile, in the midst of having been elected by God, God's at work in you. God is at work in you because he loves you. Because he's for you. And he, he, is, he is working in you to make you more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. All believers have been and are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We, and we're not just cleansed, brothers and sisters, we're not just cleansed from our past sins, but we're being continually being cleansed and transformed into Christ's image. The Holy Spirit does not just clean up an old life. But introduces the believer to a new life. That's the new world we live in. that's the, the new kingdom we live in, a new life where, where God is, is at work in us. And, it, and this, this work is proof, this proof that, that we have truly been transformed, we've been truly been saved, that conversion conversion is far more than just some intellectual believing that something is true and that something has happened. It's repentance. It's turning away from a past life. It is faith. It's a commitment to Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior. And it results in the way our life is characterized by this obedience to Jesus Christ. It is this obedience to Christ that creates problems for us in our culture. that's, That's what makes the difference we're, we're living lives that are obedient to God's word, to the truth of God's word. And you know what? The culture. The culture struggles with that. The culture just doesn't get it. I don't remember where I was. This is just recently. I was talking to somebody, and they asked me how long Marilyn and I had been married. And I said, well, it, almost 40 years. And they just. They were shocked. They just said, well, how did you do it? How how did you do it? Because nobody in our society makes it to 40 years. Well, they don't know us. They don't know our world. They don't know what Christ has done in us. God God is at work. D. Edmund Hebert says this, The sign and proof of being among the elect is not an empty pratting, which means babbling, of how secure we are once we have believed, but rather how sensitive we are to the principle and practice of obedience to the Savior we have trusted. Okay, in other words, there's something behind our profession of faith. And it's that profession of faith that makes us exiles. It's that profession of faith that makes us different, that should make us different, should make us very different. And then he goes on, Then Peter goes on to say, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. What does he mean there? Well, what he means is this. Listen, we are never, we are never perfectly obedient. Not in this life. We still sin. We still need cleansing. And Peter reminds us that God forgives and cleanses us through the blood of Christ. 1 John 1, 7. Reminds us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then verse nine: If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our conversion, we were we were cleansed not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of Christ poured out. For our sake and his death, that that blood, in a sense, sprinkled on us, giving us complete forgiveness for all our sins. Listen, the penalty of our sins has been paid for by the blood of Christ, the substitutionary sacrifice he made on the cross. We are cleansed, and we are continually being cleansed because we are elect. And as exiles, when we sin, We don't ignore it. We confess it. And we trust in the promises of a good and loving Savior who said he will forgive. And did you notice, have you noticed the Trinity is involved in the creation of this elect exile? The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The Trinity is involved in our our elect exile. Our our status as exiles is rooted in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We've been rescued from our way of life and the wrath of God against our sins. The entire Trinity is active And involved in our salvation. We are chosen by the Father, saved by the Son, and sanctified by the Spirit. And that is what Peter is doing. And so, although this is not a doctrinal teaching that Peter is giving, he is teaching doctrine. He is teaching biblical truth. He is teaching us what salvation is all about and how it came about. And that is why he says, you are elect and you are exiles. So that is, that, that's who he's writing to, us, elect exiles. Those are the readers. And then there's the reason. Why was First Peter written? And that's the reason. Finally, this opening greeting, it's no formality. It's not just a, hey... I'm writing to you, hope things are well. No, no, it's far more. It's an announcement of God's grace revealed in his saving work, in his sanctifying work, in his save, in sustaining work as we're united to God's grace and peace, a grace and peace we desperately need in a hostile world. David Helm said this, he said, we have a lot in common with Peter's first readers. In Christ, we are God's chosen, His elect in all the earth, and yet we are living our lives in a complex and often confusing context. Oh, I love this. He says, We're capable of waking up each morning in joyful praise and going to bed dejected in spirit. Are we not? Listen, it, it can be hard for us. I get it. It's hard for me at times to bridge the gap of 2,000 years as we read about the sufferings of these first Christians in 1 Peter and, and knowing that 1 Peter is not ri- written directly to us but written for us. Um, it still applies that we can know how to live faithfully and obediently and joyfully for Christ in a faithless and hostile world. 43 years ago, 43 years ago this month, actually tomorrow, 43 years ago tomorrow, when I became a Christian, this book of First Peter and its subject about suffering for Christ was more relevant to those living in communist countries, in Russia, in China, in North Korea, Cuba, Those believers suffered greatly for following Christ. Their their nations were atheistic, and to believe in anything other than the state was treasonous. And when I was converted in 1976, the Jesus movement, brothers and sisters, it was in full swing. Thousands of young people like myself became Christians. The church was viewed positively. Pastors were respected. And the community at large supported Christianity. Back Back then, 43 years ago, honestly, I would have never thought that in less than 50 years that would all dramatically change and change it has listen in just the last few weeks this is what I have read this is the stories I have read that have been online an australian rugby president declares this is last week that one of the rugby players quoting bible verses that is hate speech Two weeks ago, the National Guard in Pennsylvania banned a Christian scout group from touring their facility because of their religious beliefs that don't support the LGBTQ agenda. This week, Chick-fil-A, I read again, was banned from opening a store in San Antonio International Airport. Also happened in Buffalo, New York, because of its legacy of anti-LGBTQ behavior. That legacy was they supported the following ministries, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Paul Anderson Youth Home, and Money to the Salvation Army in 2017, Wayne State University kicked InterVarsity Christian Fellowship off campus because it required its leaders to be Christians. Brothers and sisters, that's just a few of literally hundreds, if not thousands, of recent experiences of hostility towards the Christian faith. Listen, Christianity, Christianity today, is no longer viewed as a benefit to our culture. People don't believe Christianity serves our culture anymore. They consider Christianity a threat to our culture. And the culture is doing all it can to eradicate Christianity. You need to be aware of that. You need to see the sign of the times. You need to, like Peter, see what's coming down the road. Today, we are experiencing an opposition to our faith that is growing more hostile, more vehement. And in the near future, there will be more severe consequences placed on Christians for just believing truth. If ever a book was relevant for our times, 1 Peter is that book. It is here to prepare us for what we are currently experiencing and will experience in the near future. Listen, we must not be surprised when we face persecution and suffering for Christ in the following places, like our workplace. You must remain silent about your faith. You must attend diversity training. You must agree with the corporate philosophy. And if you don't, Guaranteed, you will experience. You will experience the opposition. Our extended families. You can be viewed as an outcast because of the faith that you have, the stands that you take, just the way you parent. And your approach to biblical parenting. Our neighborhoods, being fearful to say what you believe. Wondering what your neighbors are going to think because you're not supportive of the pride parade they want to put into your neighborhood. And any place in public where your faith comes on display. Listen, when I got saved in 1976, the first thing you did after buying a Bible was buying a bumper sticker. (laughs) Christians are not perfect they're saved. Oh yeah, we were not perfect. That was guaranteed. <laughs> I don't see many bumper stickers today. These nativity scenes are, are regularly vandalized at Christmas time. Daniel Doriani wrote this in his commentary. He said, in the day... And he wrote this commentary, his commentary on First Peter in 2014. So five years ago, he wrote, In the day I write this, anyone who declares that God wants marriage... God wants marriage to unite one man and one woman will be called a bigot and a hater. That was five years ago. And so this is why Peter, brothers and sisters, is so intent on making sure that we remember and we understand the grace of God given to us and working in us. Remember when we went through the series in John, John, at the end, in John 20, told us why he wrote the Gospel of John. He said, I write these things to you who believe. Remember, that's what he wrote. Well, Peter does a very similar thing. In verse 12 of chapter 5, he writes, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, the readers of this letter, exhorting and declaring that this, what he has said, these truths about your election, these truths about being exiled, these truths about God's grace being multiplied to you, his peace being multiplied to you, these truths, these doctrinal truths, I write these things to you, declaring that this is the true grace of God. And then he says this, stand firm. In it. Stand firm in it. In view of the hostility and suffering and persecution you are facing and will face, grace is your only hope. But grace is there in abundance. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It will be multiplied to you. So stand firm in it so that you might wonderfully and faithfully live in the peace of God while facing the most difficult hostilities and opposition to your faith as a follower of Christ. He goes, grace, grace is multiplied to you, and peace. Listen, Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Listen, Jesus gave them a peace the world could not give, and the world could not take away. This was not a temporary peace or a superficial peace, but a peace like no other peace. Finally, let us hear from our dear friend, Mr. Mahaney. He says this, about First Peter. He said, Our study and application of this letter is meant to multiply, not add, but multiply our experience of grace and peace and strengthen our hearts as exiles, particularly when we are opposed and persecuted. For we don't belong here. We are just passing through as we make our way to our true heavenly home. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, in the coming months, we will study what Peter is talking about with respect to hostilities, with respect to faithfulness, with respect to the grace of God in our lives. Father, thank you for your word that, that prepares us and encourages us and sustains us, especially as we, as we faithfully live as elect exiles in a growing hostile world. Oh Lord, may, may our witness never fade May we never duck from the truth and speaking what is right. May we be bold by your Spirit's strength and grace for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.